Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 87, How to Do Battle with Anxiety. Welcome. My name is Lori Krieg and I am the executive director of Hole in My Heart Ministries and we are coming at you from Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I do not have the Argyle expert slash plaid personality alongside me. He is super sick. So feel free to say a prayer for him as he's sick and watching our three children. So maybe, maybe double blessings on him. (laughs) Uh, But we do have our producer and the most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve. Good afternoon. Hey, I know we're recording at a little different time, which kind of makes it spicy and fun. (laughs) But we are so excited to welcome our guest today, Rebecca Lyons, who I'm going to do a little bio Uh, of her before we dive into talking with her, but she is a national speaker and best-selling author of You Are Free, Be Who You Already Are, and Free Fall to Fly, A Breathtaking Journey Toward a Life of Meaning. And I did that book, You Are Free, with a couple girlfriends of mine, and we loved it and really grew and enjoyed it. But let's, let's dive into a little bit more before we talk about her latest book, which I also enjoyed. But she, alongside her husband, Gabe, serves as co-founder of Q Ideas and finds joy in raising four children, two of whom have Down syndrome. And her work has been featured on Good Morning America, CNN, The Huffington Post, and more. And she is here today via Skype audio (laughs) to unpack how we can practically do battle with anxiety based on her latest book, Rhythms of Renewal, Trading Stress and Anxiety for a Life of Peace and Purpose, which is releasing October 1 nationwide and is available for pre-order now. So look it up because I got one of those early copies and I loved it. But Rebecca, welcome. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Uh, This is so fun. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm so excited because it is so relevant. We were behind the scenes talking a bit about um, just how I'm doing postpartum. And I mentioned just the intense anxiety, depression I had after our second daughter was born and just some of the, the battling of emotions now. And I think this is such a relevant conversation. So thanks for helping us unpack it today. Oh, absolutely. This is this is my thing. I love it. You know, I didn't want to be anxiety girl and I don't claim that identity, but it is interesting how your pain becomes purpose. And yes. all of a sudden, you know, uh, I've always been a chronic oversharer. And so God gave me a story I couldn't shut up about. So here we are. <laughs> love, love that. Well, let's dive into some of the fruit of that chronic oversharing by first diving into our question of the week from last week. And so we were talking a bit about listening prayer and how we can uh, lament both grieve to God and hear from God. And so I'd love to start with you, Rebecca, to answer this question is when recently, and it could be a small thing or a big thing, just when have you felt 90% sure? We're, I don't know if we're ever 100%, maybe we are, but you were 90% sure God wanted you to do something and you did it. And you don't even maybe perhaps know the results of it, but you were faithful. That's really what it was. You had faith that God was telling you something and you did it. So when was a time that happened for you, Rebecca? Uh, there's two specific times, but I'll tell the most recent because each time when you really know clearly you're supposed to do something, it's usually, and, and it, it requires everything. It, it's very mm-hmm. costly. Mm-hmm. It requires so much trust and faith and, and also surrender, um, to what, you know, mm-hmm. I would say the last one was when we said yes to adopting this little girl, joy from China, mm-hmm. uh, a year and we brought her home nine months ago, but, um, but the yes came a year before. For that, and 
it was just one of those things that I was so reluctant because I was so afraid because mm-hmm. she's, she's young and I'm in my mid forties and she was four and a half at the time. And, mm. and she had down syndrome. So we, we knew what that would be like with our older son, but you just don't know what you don't know. And so, but it was one of those things. I think when God invites us to things, it's like sand in your shoe. You just can't shake it. And it's yeah. irritating. It's yep. so irritating because you can't get rid of it, but you know, it's there. Mm. And I know for Gabe and I, when we've had to take these journeys of faith, these steps, these deliberate steps into a direction that's unknown, we have to have such assurance that God goes before us and that he brings people around and that he will be our strength, yes. period. Yep. And so I knew that he had done that before in our lives. When we had our first son with Down syndrome when I was 26, that was, that was immediate. Like I found out six hours after he was born, mm-hmm. that was a trajectory shaping moment. You know, nine years later, we moved to Manhattan, sell everything. We leave Atlanta trajectory shaping moment. And then this decision with joy, same thing. Mm. But every single time those things that were almost the hardest to surrender to were the most life transforming as well. Mm. Uh, Isn't that the case? And we don't even know we're in a life transforming moment necessarily when it it happens immediately, but you just, it, it, you see it clearer and clearer the farther away you are. You're like, Oh, had that been something else, I would not be in this location, perhaps literally such as Manhattan. (laughs) Exactly. Steve, exactly. What uh, listener did you resonate with? And how about, yeah. Um, well, I really appreciated, uh, what Martha had to say here. In all my years as a Christian, I don't think I have heard God's whisper louder than I have over the last three years concerning my journey as a parent of an LGBT. This is so hard for me to share because I want to blurt out the amazing details of God's work, but I can't because they are pieces of other stories that shouldn't or can't be shared just yet. Although throughout this time, I would hear God say, ask for prayer here, share with this person, share with this group, or do this for that person. Many were difficult to do with not knowing why. There were many moments of discouragement with why did you ask me to do that? There was even a time when I temporarily lost all hope in all that God was doing, and I was angry at God. Right now, I'm not free to share the results of some that have been revealed, and others, I don't know what God is doing with them. I do know I stand in awe of God's details and what was asked of me and where those have led. From the moment my kid came out up to today, I can only stand in awe of his graciousness and his faithfulness in allowing me to know some of the whys in the moments of my discouragement. So that was what Martha shared, and I uh, just resonate as a parent, okay? Mm-hmm. So our story with our kids isn't the same as hers, mm-hmm. but uh, just last week, um, I've got four boys, and so I was having a conversation with our youngest, which was precipitated by just concern for where he's at, and um, so usually, traditionally, my default is to either just lay down the law, bring down the hammer, you know, and be sort of authoritarian Mm -hmm. um, or just kind of be real permissive and say, well, I'm sure it can't be that bad, whatever's going on for them. Uh, And both of those are 
coming from fear that yeah. I'm experiencing, you know? Mm -hmm. So either I don't want to deal with it because I don't want to face it, or I just bring the, down the hammer because of, I don't want the worst I can imagine to happen. And it was like, God said, just have a conversation. And I also look for a formula. Like I want a formula so bad. Yeah. I, I, I think the worst thing for me is stepping into the unknown. And so, so many of these conversations, that's what it is. But God was just saying, initiate the conversation. Mm. And it ended up being that I was vulnerable and shared a little of my story that my youngest isn't fully familiar with. And so that was risky. And uh, but it really turned out to be like nothing was really like resolved. Like it wasn't like it was some kind of revival that happened in his life in that moment. But I felt like he and I knew each other better and trusted each other more than we had before that. And wow. it was just, you know, God saying, start a conversation. And you can't get a formula for that. No. Like it takes, yes, awareness and study of how to be a parent. But then sure. there is such this reliance on the spirit to really guide you. And provide the sentence. words. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Which I'm excited. We're going to hopefully get to a question that we're going to ask Rebecca today, just about how to enter into these conversations and, and combat anxiety in our kids, as well as perhaps while we're battling it in ourselves. So I'm glad you brought that up. Well, I resonated with a listener named Andres. Hi, uh, my name is Andres, um, and I'm, I'm originally from Guatemala City. Uh, so I recently moved back here um, because I was in the States uh, studying and whatnot. So I just moved back uh, and I was trying to find uh, jobs in ministry, which is what I want to do here. Um, and it's very difficult to find a paid job here for ministry. So I've been struggling for that for a couple months. Um, and I kept thinking that I had to be doing something. I have to be doing something. I have to have a job. And so I was about to give up looking for ministry uh, positions. And I was about to go and apply to uh, some other uh, job that I could do, but it's not what I want to do. So I, just, I didn't really want to do that, but I wanted to, I knew, I thought I knew that I had to be doing something. So um, I had different conversations with some friends and as I was going to this job site, I felt God telling me to wait, to be patient and to, uh, to not rush into things and to trust him that, that he would provide. Um, and maybe, to think that maybe I didn't really have to be doing something because I had to do it, but because I wanted to do it. Uh, so I got to that job site. I was struggling the whole way there, and then I just I just turned around I, and I went back home. Um, and I decided I'm, I'm gonna be patient and I'm gonna wait. Um, a couple of days later, uh, different friends and ministry and and different ministries started contacting me that they wanted me to get involved with them. And I, I didn't worry if it was paid or not. I just was very thankful that God had provided a way for me to get involved in ministry here. And I know that if I had applied to these jobs, I would have probably gotten the job and I would have probably not been able to say yes to getting involved in ministry without this, these other people. So um, that's my story. Have a good day, you guys. So it was huge faith, especially when, again, fear cropping up because you're like, ah, I'm not going to eat. You know, <laughs> That's like a big deal. God, are you sure here? Um, and I resonated, you know, a time that I've had recently is um, similar to this whole 
uh, job-related thing. I had, um, this last week, I was on Moody Radio, and if you guys follow the podcast, you saw I posted something from a producer there. So that morning, before I got there, you guys didn't realize, at 5 a.m., I was hitting the road, and I could just tell that the darkness of the sky, literal darkness, was permeating, like, the environment. Like, I could just tell the enemy doesn't want me to go to this or something. And so I'm literally praying out loud, and I... <laughs> I mean, maybe it's controversial what I'm saying, but I'm just like telling the enemy to get lost. I'm just saying, okay, this is not okay. Trying to take uh, the authority that we have as believers. And um, the car just stopped. Like a bunch of lights came on in the car and then it just stopped. And I was like, oh my word. And so I call Matt and he actually answers his phone at 5.30 in the morning. He's never awake that early. <laughs> he never answers his phone in the morning. And I was like, Matt, can you please... Um, pray for me. I don't know what to do. Is this just the car? What is this? But I just sense like, no, Lori, I want you to go to this. And this just trust me. And I was maybe 85% sure, <laughs> maybe not 90. And so I prayed and the car started. And now are all car problems, spiritual problems? No. Sometimes you just got to take the car to the shop. But at that moment, I felt like this was something bigger than than just the car. So I end up going and little did I realize, but the producer, Jack Havman, if you guys hear that on the podcast link, his story, he said, God, that morning told him, I need you to share this story. Mm. And it was one of when he had endured sexual assault and the stigma around men and sexual assault, they just don't often have the ability to share or the platform. We just have stigmatized it too much. And so I was so thankful I didn't give up. I looked between what I could see with my eyes and I moved in and so did Jack. And so God was glorified through him sharing his story. Okay. So we just spoke about some things leaning into really facing these battles. Me with like, okay, this darkness I see and you, Steve, this ambiguity and, and Rebecca with what you're saying with the unknown of these yeses that you're saying. And so we're really talking about stepping through fear to get to God being glorified in our weakness. So Rebecca, we want to unpack that with you with your latest book again, that comes out on October 1st. So excited about that. Um, but as we do that, I'd love to hear it in this gospel context. So we ask every guest these two questions. If the gospel is, I am more loved than I can possibly imagine, and yet more sinful than I believe, when was it first good news for you, and how is it still? Yes, well, I, I accepted Christ when I was five because I believed that the story of Jesus was true. At the time, I would say as a five-year-old, I didn't know what I was being saved from, mm -hmm. but I was deciding I wanted to follow Jesus. And that was enough. Yeah. And it wasn't until later in life that I understood that the good news of the gospel, th the freedom that was purchased for us on the cross really would play out in my adult life more than ever. I, I think in my childhood, I wanted to please God and I wanted to serve him and I loved him. But it was with the faith of a child, and it was it was wonderful. I felt freedom the most when I was with Jesus in the secret place, you know, whether I was out in nature, creation, exploring, um, reading my Bible, prayer. Um, sometimes those were the freest moments I remember of, of my faith um, because it was less about what to do or not to do. Mm. It was more about an invitation into knowing him and encountering him and, and loving him. And so in my adult life, um, when I started to feel these waves of anxiety hit once we had moved to New York City, 
it was this dependency, this brokenness. All of a sudden mm-hmm. I was met with my frailty, uh, this version of me I was unfamiliar with. Really, it stemmed from claustrophobia, feeling of being trapped in small spaces, and it would manifest in panic attacks on planes, trains, elevators, subways, and crowds. And I remember I would walk the streets at night because it was the only open space, right, in the city of, you know, 8 million people in 11 miles. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would go through Central Park and I would just talk to God and I would just, just be like, I need you every hour. I need you. Like there was such a surrendered, um, not my will, but yours, uh, in that season, just a a desperation just for his, just for his face and to Mm -hmm. hear, to know his voice and to feel his nearness. So it was a different kind of version of me experiencing the gospel. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't out of like, Oh, this is going to be great. I really want to know you. Like in my childhood, it was more of a, like, I can't actually do anything apart from you. I am nothing. Mm. Um, and so that, that desperation made the Lord get so loud for me in that season in a new way, right. In a yeah. new, more grown up way. And a year and a half into that time, I do remember a remarkable moment where I just said, rescue me. I cried out in the middle of the night, waking up in just distress, in panic. I just said, rescue me, deliver me. I cannot do this without you. And the peace of Christ flooded my heart and all was still. Mm. And I knew like that was the first time that that year over the new year, our friends went around, they said, name your year in a word like this past year. It was like new year's Eve. We were hosting, we were eating snacks, sitting around the table in our living room. And someone said, Hey, name your year in a word. And I said, rescue. Mm. And they had walked through it with me, but they were like, but what makes you say rescue? And I said, it's the first time that I've experienced the rescue of God wow. in the third, in the 30 years I've called myself a Christian mm. because all of a sudden I knew the cost of the cross I knew, I understood like what Jesus did was for my freedom. Like yes. that it wasn't, it's, and all of a sudden that good news became paramount, paramount news. Like that I would no longer stay enslaved to sin and death. Amen. But because, because resurrection was real, then there would be resurrection in my own heart and in my own life on the other side of something that felt crippling and full of despair. Mm. Girl. Yep. I just feel you. We, we just, uh, I don't think anyone listening can not relate to that. Like of these moments of desperation and longing for rescue, which really that's the, that's our whole lives. <laughs> and then when right. God gives us these breaths of wind and this sustenance to our aching longing, I need the every hour souls. It's just, it's like we drink in heaven for a moment and it gives us hope to continue. Right. So Rebecca, you write these gorgeous, genuine stories. You start speaking about this freedom that you have in Christ and which none of that's fake. You know, it it can almost like you like start to doubt perhaps your own like healing. I'm going to put air quotes around it because I want to hear how you describe it because then you slammed into another panic attack. What was that like? Well, the interesting thing is what happened. Um, so I have panic attacks for over a year in 2010 and 11. I don't have another one until 2016. Mm. 
like when the peace of Christ led in me that night, healing happened. And I began a journey of starting to share like the rescue of God. Psalm Amen. 18 became so loud for me. It was yeah. just the prayer of deliverance. And I started to write about it. I started to teach about it. I mean, I would encounter so many people on the road who are like, Hey, I want a deliverance moment. I mean, I literally need to be pulled from a pit right now. Mm. <laughs> um, and so I was like, yeah, I know. I feel that. I feel that with you. I know what that is. <laughs> um, it takes, and we don't know freedom until we know bondage. And so let's, let's, let's own the pit, um, uh, in that acknowledge that we are, that we are so hungry for God's rescue. And then let's ask him to do a mighty work. And so when he does, we start to walk that out and that's what he did for me. And so for, for the next, you know, five, six years, I'm full of faith, you know, yeah. It doesn't mean that I didn't have like a low grade anxiety. I might have, you know, stressful seasons where I had shallow breathing, but I didn't have panic attacks. Yeah. Um, and so I begin this book in the middle of a panic attack because what I want people to understand is the truth I learned from that moment was that I was just, I, I questioned like, oh, am I a fraud? I thought it was, there was a healing that happened and I was like loud about it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know? And yet here I found myself back in a place of frailty and desperation yet again. And I just talked to God a lot about it that whole day, that night, the next, um, throughout the evening, it was a long thing I talked about in the beginning of this book, but what God's promise was in the end is what, is what I think we all need to understand, especially when relapse hits yeah. is that God says, I don't promise that fear won't come knocking. I promise always a way of escape. Mm. And to me, that is the life of faith because you look at all these heroes of the faith, right? Old Testament and the New Testament, the prophets, apostles, the evangelists, right? Bravery for them was moving scared. It did not mean that there would not be adversity, that they would not be imprisoned at the same time they're casting out demons and they're healing the leper, right? There's just this idea of that Jesus, Jesus made a way for our escape. The gospel is our, our good news that even in this place of pain today, um, the mercy is new tomorrow morning. Mm -hmm. Even in, there's so many Psalms, like you said, of lament, right. Mm -hmm. That are, that are despairing. And then in the next chapter, it's rejoicing. And so to me, I think what's so paramount about that is even in the moments of pain where it enters in, when we intentionally meet that pain with praise, when we say, I, I don't, I don't have a lot to do with these circumstances that are pressing in right now, other than I'm feeling the weight of them. But I, re I refuse to bow down to these things because you are my king and you promise life mm. and you're the author of life. And so while this might be coming here, I still set my eyes on you. And so I wake often with this verse in my head and I'm grateful for it because I need the reminder I will keep her in perfect peace whose eyes are fixed on me Amen. because she trusts in me. And the, tr the trouble is we take our eyes off him in the middle of um, opposition and we start to measure the opposition, right? We look down and we try to, we try to calculate and weigh all the odds that are coming towards us and try to formulate something. He's like, Hey, if you actually take your eyes off that thing and you fix them back on me and you rejoice and in worship, to me, you, you lift, exalt me, you lift praise to me. Actually that stuff that's coming against you will start to fade to black. Mm. It just doesn't take your center. It doesn't take your focus. It doesn't take your mind share. It doesn't cripple your body. It doesn't take over your anxiety because you still see that I'm in charge. I, 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 I rule in the heavens and the earth. Is that not enough for man? Mm -hmm. And so that helps me 
in any situation, in any season that I seek first the kingdom and the rest is added. I seek to praise when opposition comes because there will be times when the fiery dart or there will be things that will be put in front of us to tempt us, to accuse us, to condemn us. And we can fall, we can literally give way to that because we start to believe that these lies are more truthful than the cross and the resurrection. Or we say, nope, even though I might be feeling this, it's it's hard and painful and feels crippling at times. I choose to set my eyes back on you and I get on my knees and I come before the throne and I say, you're my king. I exalt you above all else. And when those disordered loves are put back into right order, where our affections are first placed on Christ, on God, on, on his sovereign will. And we submit to that. I just, I, he brings us through things. He just does. Mm. And all of it really, to me, is this invitation into intimacy with him, mm. communion, walking with him, like, like God put on flesh and walked among us because he really wanted to show us a pattern of what communion would look like between him and the father. And that we could even have with our Father, the reconciliation we got with the Father, um, and co-laboring with Christ. I mean, to me, it's just, the Bible is full of invitation. It's just full of saying, come, come. Get, mm-hmm. Are you tired, burned out on religion? Come, mm-hmm. get away from, get away with me. You'll recover your life and you'll find rest for your soul. What I so appreciate and hear in what you're saying is there is action that needs to take place. Because if people just listen to you right now and they're like, okay, I feel this crazy anxiety, depression, condemnation, all the lies, self-hatred, and you're saying praise, or you're saying to put into these practices that I want to dive into that you unpack in your book. Um, If you just look at it and assess it, you feel inside pain and you look at praise, it does not compute. It doesn't Mm -mm. compute. It only does in action. You have Uh to take the steps in order to see and feel, experience any results. So if we just, if you guys, if we just hear this, if we just are hearers of the word and not doers, like literally it doesn't make sense uh, Uh unless we actually engage it and then you experience it. Right. Can you help us unpack some of those? You have four different um, categories, just these, these, I guess it's, it reminded me of Richard Foster's book, just celebration of discipline and Mm -hmm. just your book does, because you essentially are saying, let me sit next to you, dear sister, brother, and let's feel our anxiety, depression, whatever we're wrestling through. And then let's look at practices we can do. Let's look inward. Let's look outward and let's, let me break this down bit by bit and let's walk together. Is that Mm. accurate? Yes. I wanted it to not feel like, Hey guys, I'm over here and I've arrived (laughs) (laughs) because we all know that's not true. Uh, It's more of like, Hey, let's walk alongside. This is what I did last night. How about you? Yeah. That's evident. I mean, (laughs) yeah, I hope so because it's true. I actually did do this last night (laughs) because it, because I, I think there's a cadence to life and there are going to be seasons that are going to be, we're going to be more vulnerable. We're going to be more prone to stress or anxiety just based on deadlines or work expectations or stressful seasons in parenting or marriage or, or in our community, if we're single and, and you know, our, whatever it is, our friendships, but what do we do with it? I think that's the bigger thing. Like, do we try to carry it ourselves or do we give it to God and say, Hey, I want to actually live in the way that you designed us to, I want to order my life around what you say is true. What you say is good. Mm. What do you say is for my flourishing? And because God created us in rhythm and he established rhythm 
from the beginning of time, right? In creation, day and night, sun and moon, seasons, stars. And then in our bodies are made in rhythm. We've got heartbeat. We've got contractions when new life comes to play. We've got mm-hmm. pulse. Uh, you, everything is about rhythm. Yep. And so when we're out of rhythm, our bodies pay the price. Our minds pay the price. Our hearts pay the price. But not only that, our people pay the price. Right. When we're operating out of rhythm, it's because one thing has become a Lord over our life. And these other things that actually are for our good and for our growth and maturity are being just pushed down and and minimized. Mm. And so part of what the book is, is an invitation to undo. It's not to give you more things to do. It's actually undo the unhealthy things that are taking over your life. So what are they? What are some of those practices? Well, well, I start with rest because it's the foundation for the rest. Okay. It's the foundation for the other three because Mm -hmm. rest is the foundation. It precedes blessing. Um, you don't run to earn rest. You run from rest. Mm. So, so because you're in a rested posture, uh, when God, you know, created and then he rested and then he blessed it, it was like, it was such, it's not an optional thing to God. It's a mandate. And so that's why he commanded the land to rest. And when Israel didn't obey, he exiled them for the 70 years, for all the years they never let the land rest because God is serious about rest. Mm -hmm. And so what happens here is rest is about our spiritual life, our spiritual, our inner life. Um, And so what I I do practically is like take inventory of your life is chapter one, like take inventory, like take a, take a moment, get off your phone and take a day and Mm -hmm. go through these questions, like what's right in my life, what's wrong, what's confused, what's missing, just this analysis. A lot of us have heard of that, but it's this idea of like, what, what, what is clear and what is confusing? What is wrong? I mean, we just, it swirls and we operate out of the deficit, but we actually don't actually take charge of it in some way to go, all right, let's take inventory. And then tech detox is the second chapter, because if you, if you do actually take some time away from your phone, you'll get so much time back. to consider, to consider what that inventory needs, you know, what needs to be boosted, what, you know, what needs to be done with. Um, and then there's routines for deep sleep because that's a real big deal. Taking a walk, taking Mm -hmm. Sabbath, all this is our spiritual life, this rhythm of rest. Mm-hmm. And my, um, the next one is restore. The, the, the other input rhythm is restore. And it's a, our bodies, our physical bodies. Um, what are we eating? Um, where is our energy level going? Do we have permission to play? Are we seeking adventure? Do we, are we stepping out? It's, it's in some ways our physical health, but it's recalling back to our youth. It's calling us back to like the things that kind of stirred in us, even as a kid. Because I think what happens is kids haven't learned to be afraid yet, but adults have mastered it. And so part of it is going back to going, there's a childlike thing that the Lord wants to spark in us again to bring us back to life um, in a healthy way. And um, so those two input rhythms are to fill us up. And then the last two are output rhythms. Can I jump in real quick under that one? I was thinking about this. uh, So under restore, you give us permission to play. That's one of the chapters. So these are very short chapters, guys, with just questions at the end. But I was thinking about this even this morning as I'm, you know, running, running late, of course, to do meetings, et cetera. And my daughter is asking me, mom, will you play magnets with me, which are just these magnetile things. And I had said, I can give you five minutes, Juliet, and um, 
Yeah, I was about to renege on that. But then I thought of your book, Rebecca, I'm not just saying this to flatter you. I really mean it. Is I was like, this is both going to be life-giving for me before I dive into a back-to-back meeting day. And it is going to pour into my daughter five literal minutes playing with magnetiles and her favorite little zebra. Um, But what you just said is me who can struggle with anxiety. I find it happening when I feel like, oh, no, I have meetings. I have to control. And yet to play for a minute caused me to release my death grip on my own life. But can you help me understand how does that also release my anxiety? Because couldn't it like increase it somehow? Like if I, you know, I'm, but I'm not controlling. I have to be in control. My whole day is going to get shot if I play. So how, what's the relationship between play, control, and anxiety? Well, okay. So control is driven by fear. Absolutely. It's like control is the mechanism it's the output of fear. It's, it's, it's almost like the symptom, right? Mm. So you feel fear. And then what do you do? You immediately control because you don't know what else to do with the fear. So you try to take it under your reign. And the idea that I learned in this story that I tell in this chapter is like horseback riding. I mean, like that's the last thing I want to do, right? I don't want to give my control over to some animal that can trample me. Um, and yet, uh, it's like, a lot of times I, I realized that I, I couldn't play because I was trying to control everything. And I learned in that season that playing control cannot coexist. Mm. They just can't. So you've got to at some point decide if, if I'm going to play, then I release control. So play is a deliberate action to mm-hmm. dispel control mm-hmm. because you can't control. Like if you're having a dance party with your family in the living room, yes. what Pretty are you going to do? Like tell your kids how to dance and like <laughs> make them dance like you. I mean, that, nobody would do that. It's just something just let's go. And mm-hmm. we all, I feel like we all corporately as a society just need to chill out a little bit. Yes. And part of that is going to happen through play. Yeah. And so I remember the first time I felt permission to play was when we moved to New York. And after I came out of that panic season, I started to kind of skip around the city. And I'm like, I really want to go to this museum. I don't really have time. That feels irresponsible. I should probably go grocery shopping and meal prep. And then um, I read uh, The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And she talked about an an artist date. And I'm like, I'm going to have a date with myself and go be inspired by beautiful (laughs) art. Yeah. And all of a sudden I would skip on the train and I'm like, not fear. I'm not having panic attacks anymore. I'm mm-hmm. like, I have permission to play right now. Yep. I am giving myself because God anointed this. Like I'm giving myself permission to play, to be inspired because what the play does is like our creativity and our imagination is stirred by novelty. Mm-hmm. So the more we put new things in front of us, the more we connect those dots subconsciously and it actually allows us to create yeah. And God is pleased when he, we create. He has made us with the, his creativity put in us. The Imago Dei is in us to create as he did. And so I just think that brings him joy. I mm-hmm. look at my kids and if they're, if they're having a ball and they're learning new things and then it stirs their imagination to create something, how, how happy does, how glad does that make our hearts, right, right? as parents? Mm-hmm. And I think God is the same way towards us. He's like, oh, thank goodness. She stopped trying to control everything around her. And she's actually enjoying the wonder of what I made for her. Yes. Oh, yeah. Love it. So you have two more rhythms. You said that the other two were input, the first two. And then these are these output. What are these? Connect and create. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So connect is like once you've had those inputs and you really have, um, listen to the Lord and you've taken care of your body and you've gotten active and you've just been revitalized. 
inwardly, right? So the output is that you would then go out, right? Paul says in Galatians 6, like, don't use this freedom for yourselves. Use it to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. So this idea of like, we then go out, right? We connect with um, our spouses and our children and our families and our friendships and our community, whatever that looks like. Um, and so that whole section of that rhythm is, is seven chapters on different ways to do that. Mm. Things like apologize first. Like I just needed a chapter on conflict resolution. I needed a chapter on vulnerability. Um, mm. I needed a chapter on friendship. Uh, I needed it on marriage. I needed it on parenting. It just, these were things that I was like, every relationship in our lives, like our, the health of our, our mental and emotional health is directly connected to the health of our relationships. Yeah. Are there, is there bitterness we're harboring? Is that growing into an unforgiveness? Is that becoming resentment, which then becomes contempt? Because once you're there, if you get to that point with someone, um, you might as well just anything you're trying to do for the kingdom, you might as well just set that, set that down because God is just saying, you cannot, you don't have permission. You don't actually have permission to withhold forgiveness from these people because that's the foothold. That's where the enemy just comes in and just wreaks havoc. And all of a sudden lies get super loud again. So that's been super convicting for me. And a lot of times I'll ask the Lord like David in Psalm 139, search me, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, see if there's anything wicked and lead me in the way everlasting. The whole point of confession is that when we confess with our mouth, um, if we are faithful and just to confess our sins, he cleanses us. He cleanses us from that unrighteousness. It's not like we just do it. We just confess it. And then we just go on and we keep doing it. Jesus is like, no sin, no more. And the act of confession gives way to his forgiveness and his grace to flood our hearts again and to cleanse us. That's the goal. It's not that we would just constantly chronically keep feeling like we're paying penance for our sins. It's that, that because of the good news and the resurrection, that he cleanses us and clothes us, covers us with his righteousness. Hmm. And that's a grace. That's a grace. Yeah. What's so critical about what you're saying. So you're highlighting just like getting our relationships right. And you're highlighting getting our hearts right, essentially. And, and what you're saying is like this confession is going to remove sin and idols in our lives. These, these loves that are put before Christ. Now, someone might be listening and being like, well, wait, what's this have to do with anxiety? is really when we have these disordered loves, or if we have these areas of sin in our lives, or if we have these breaches in relationship, that's sin. And when the Lord like pulls that out of us, or as we release our death grips on these idols, on this sin in our lives, I have found in walking with people, that doesn't feel great. It actually Mm. can stir the pot of anxiety. So I'll have people who I'm walking with, they'll come in and they'll be like, well, I'm wrestling with X, Y, Z idolatry or sin. And God starts releasing them from that thing. Then they come in the next week and they'll say, now I'm wrestling with just a junk load of anxiety. And Mm. I actually see it as a good thing because you've released the death grip on sin and your hands are like my little two month old son. They're like flailing. (laughs) He's like, I don't have anything to grab. And then I put my finger in his hands and all of a sudden he calms down. So Uh it's, it's, he feels anxious with his flailing hands, but I'm not about to give him a knife, you know, so he's like holding that, but to put in our hands. So we feel anxious. And so maybe, okay, fine. Go back to your sin. Go back to X, Y, Z thing. No, we got to put in our hands, the father's hand, which is what all of these practices are are leading us toward. Right. 
Absolutely. Well, we've got to fill it with something, right? If yes. we uh, if we if we removed something that used to be like just an idol or a stronghold yep. that gave we gave a lot of our time and attention and affection to, if we yeah. pull that away and we don't replace it, yeah, the temptation will be to run back. Yeah. And that's what that's what Galatians is all about. Like Paul basically writes a book that summarizes in three words: don't run back. Like yes. you've been given freedom, you've been walking free. Stop so it. why do you want to go back? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's because it's because they start trying to earn favor again. And he's like, you never had to do that in the first place. You mm-hmm. jumped in and you received the gift of grace. And then all of a sudden you look to the right and left and saw someone who looked more religious than you. And you're like, oh, maybe God will love me more if I do this and that. Yeah. And I think what's so hard about the gospel for a lot of people is like, it's just feels too easy. Yeah. Like it just, it should not be this easy. We have, we are so hardwired to have to earn love. Yeah. We are, we are so hardwired, like we're not worthy of love unless we earn it. And God is like, nope, that's not my rule. Mm. That might be the conditions the world has put on you, but that is not how I operate. And we have such a hard time receiving that. And so we keep, even with God, sometimes trying to go like, yeah, I know you say that, but I'm going to do all these things because I think maybe it'll give me a little extra in yeah. your kingdom. And he's like, nope, it doesn't work that way. Mm. And so I do think the encouraging thing to do is if we stop looking at God on like how he dispels like his grace to us and what measure based on what we do, but instead he just says, Hey, I just want to be with you. Yeah. I want to walk with you. I became Emmanuel, God with us so that we could be in communion. So this is no longer about the things that you're struggling with. It's that I am here Yeah. right now. I am here. The anxious thoughts you're carrying for me personally, I'll give you a practical example. A lot of times right now we're in a book launch season that becomes a little more stressful, as you know, like mm-hmm. it's just, it's just part of the, the thing I can, I can let that be an, an idol. Yeah. And so for me, I'll wake up at four in the morning thinking, Oh, these are the four things that weren't done. And uh, I should have done this better, or that better. Or I, I need to complete that. And immediately I'll go in my closet because I just keep a blanket laid out and I just kneel. And I, and I just say, God, I worship you. You are king and you are good and you're here. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of times in my life that I've just had to just kind of do the slower breathing and just saying, Lord Christ, have mercy, you know, like just you are, you are, I exalt you. You know, this just again, because that verse, it says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ. And so the idea here is like, instead of indulging the loop of what I did wrong or what I wasn't enough about, because that will keep an anxious mind up all night. Unfortunately, it will. It's the worst. Mm. But instead, I consciously have to remove myself from the situation. I have to like get out of bed physically. I have to go to a different environment. I have to posture myself in a way that is worship and say, I thank you for who you are. Mm. And I want to keep my eyes fixed on you and I want to trust you. Mm. And we're going to, ha- I don't think there's going to be a day for any of us where that isn't a part of our vocabulary yep. because to walk with him is to constantly keep our eyes on him. And when the world is trying to get your attention in every other direction, it's going to take such a proactive step to say, Nope, I'm going to swim upstream here and I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on the thing that, that, most other people are not looking at yes. because that, that is my source. That is my strength. That is my peace. That is my purpose. And so it's going to take real deliberate action to do that. 
every single day. And that's why I love this book to be about like, Hey, I'm doing it with you. You're not alone in this. I I did it last night at 4am just like you, you know? And that I hope is a big takeaway for anyone who's been listening today and who feels trapped by anxiety and depression and self-hatred and just like this swarm of thoughts that are just, you feel debilitated, like she was saying, and you're looking for rescue. But you guys, the difference between you listening or me speaking right now and Rebecca is not spiritual giant (laughs) The reason that Rebecca wrote this book is because she was desperate for it. But is the difference is that she's taking ing the active verb these steps every day and so it's not a matter of well once i'm rebecca then i can go ahead and get this freedom and then i can write a book no the difference is she's taking a step not up to toward whatever up is she's taking a step to her closet and on her knees and that is a step we can all take right now (laughs) is a step to our knees and say god i am not feeling this and that's again the the theme of this whole conversation is it's not it doesn't start with a feeling it starts with an empty and it takes an action so rebecca thank you for this book um and i just want to say too it takes an action that leads to action which is your launch in the fourth rhythm is you is create and so that will lead to whatever god has this calling for you Um, Mm -hmm. but we've got to take these steps. So Rebecca, thank you for sharing your heart and these rhythms. How, how can people connect with you heart to heart, shoulder to shoulder and to get this book? Oh, absolutely. So the book is at rhythmsofrenewal.com. And part of why I wrote rhythms is that I want to help America learn how to spell rhythm. (laughs) There's an H in there somewhere and a Y. Yeah. So I made up a song one of these mornings at 4am that goes something like this. Ready? Yeah. It's R-H-Y-T-H-M-S. Once you know the song, you won't have to guess. So <laughs> I got it already. Okay. See, R-H-Y. If you just get going with R-H-Y, you'll be yeah. good. Um, but it's Rhythms of Renewal. Or you can just find me at RebeccaLyons.com. And on I'm on Instagram for the most part, but also Facebook and Twitter. And that's just at Rebecca Lyons. So, yeah, and my name is spelled different. It's the Hebrew spelling. So it's R-E-B-E-K-A-H-L-Y-O-N-S. Perfect. Well, Rebecca, thank you again for sharing. Um, I just love that idea that the difference between spiritual giants and people who don't feel like one is just an act of faith. So thank you for modeling this act, this faith act, and for linking arms with us and practically writing something we can walk alongside you with. Oh, thank you, friend. Thanks for having me on. I love what you're doing. I'm so grateful for your voice. Oh, thank you so much. Well, guys, we will connect you to all of the things that Rebecca Lyons just mentioned, including the spelling of rhythms of renewal on our podcast episode page. And just always want to highlight, guys, if you're looking for uh, how, how we can walk alongside you as you walk alongside people who identify as LGBT in your churches, et cetera, Matt and I do a thing called Journey Well, a Journey Well training. Um, and so we are happy to connect you to that as well. Just hit me up, Lori at HIMHministries.com to learn more. But we're so grateful for this conversation with Rebecca and we're looking forward to next week as well when we will be talking about physical touch. This is an uncomfortable conversation for Lori Krieg and I think Steve Odell as well. So we're going to get all sorts of uncomfortable in a good way as we uh, hear and and explore the, the benefits of it as well as 
some of our uncomfortability. And also that's one of the chapters in Rebecca's book and I was convicted. So there's that. All right. But our question of the week for next week is not actually about physical touch, but a different sensation, smell. (laughs) What is your favorite smell and why? I'm going to guess there's going to be some like nostalgia up in here. And so I'd love to hear and smell your smells. (laughs) So hit me up. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Lori Krieg, K-R-I-E-G. And, uh, or you can email us at the podcast episode page, podcast at HMHministries.com. But guys, thanks so much for joining us. We love you. We're so encouraged every week to hear from you guys and hear if you uh, rate us on iTunes. Appreciate it. We read all of them. But we will talk to you next week. And for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast, we will see you, maybe smell you next week. How about that map with leprosy? <laughs> leprosy and a fever. And a fever. He's got a fever. <laughs> yeah. More he... cowbell. That's what he needs. More <laughs> cowbell. More cowbell. <laughs> Poor Matt. I know. I should not do this, but I do it too often, is I blame his tendency towards sickness on his preemie lifestyle. Because he was born two months early. Oh, Okay. So I honestly don't know what it is, but I shouldn't say it probably as much as I do. And then I like say it and then he's like, huh, and he does. I don't know if he's actually laughing. Yeah. I don't think he is. I should probably stop saying so it. So you think, so it's like, oh, because you were born early, you don't have the immunity or something like <laughs> See, that. I'm laughing. That's mean. <laughs> that is very judgy, very mean mm. and not cultivating intimacy in our marriage. I'm not working on the metaphor very well. <laughs> Okay, so in the book that our impossible marriage book, I'm yes. talking about how each person in the relationship has a strength. So you have emotional strength or physical strength usually, and then you're both leaning into the spiritual. Oh, okay. So we as women, we usually have the emotional strength. Right. And so it's our job to cultivate that to draw you out, and you as mm-hmm. men usually with the physical strength you cultivate us to draw us out. So you create the safe environment yeah, for yeah, us, yeah, yeah. right? It's nice to see we both have strengths. So I am not exactly cultivating. Emotional mm. intimacy with my strength when I'm making fun of him for being born prematurely. <laughs> Bad job, me. <laughs> he, um, I mean, that isn't so bad because it's not like he couldn't do anything about it. I know. Like if you were saying you, you know, struggle with physical illness because of terrible habits in your life. Yeah. And then making fun of him. That would be extra, wouldn't it? Yeah. Is that worse? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You can just lay the now that I think about it. thick. Something he can't control at all or something he can't? Well, if you're saying it like, this is my theory, versus like a judgy, this is what you did wrong, or this yeah, is what you need to fix. Not judgy, this is what you need to fix, nor is it, this is my theory. Oh. I try and lean into this as like, this is just an observation, but right. then I laugh a tiny. <laughs> <laughs> not great. Laugh a tiny.